You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Welcome in, friends, to the Teak Nation podcast. It is the week of February 15th, and I've been looking forward to this episode here, Don. We are going to talk about and celebrate Black History Month on this episode today. As we all know, Black History Month is throughout February. We have a, uh, a good history in the fraternity of being inclusive and showcasing our diversity, but uh, there's a lot of things that I think we we want to get into today and, and not just with the two of us that can highlight a little more of that and hopefully shed a light on what Black History Month means to Teak and means to the fraternity and means to our members. Yeah, good morning to you, Al. It is crazy to think we're already six weeks into 2021. It feels like just a few minutes ago, you and I were having a discussion about New Year's resolutions and, and kicking the year off. We're already six weeks in and yes halfway through black history month the piece that's really exciting for me and i know for you as well is to humble ourselves and be students during this episode and learn and listen and get better i mean whether it's we're talking about leadership uh whether we're talking you know about ways that that we can be more effective in the way that we communicate this this uh, episode around black history month and frankly it, it encompasses many different areas for us to be educated in and learn from perspectives and obviously uh, areas of life that we have not lived and we have and experiences that we have not had and to be able to learn from those experiences. Yeah, and, and we're really excited here in, in a, a little bit to bring in a black frauder, Tyler Sally. He's a member of Teague's DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Um, Tyler is, uh, he, he has a bachelor's in psychology, has a master's in behavioral sciences. So um, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Like you said, you know, we are not the experts in, in Black History Month and certainly have a lot to learn. And uh, we're looking forward not only to, to having that conversation with Tyler to maybe learn a little more ourselves, but to bring that knowledge to you all as listeners. And, and hopefully you can peel away some, some things that Tyler has to talk about that are going to help you be more inclusive and, and equitable and, and diverse in your life. You know, I am curious before we, we get into some of that, Donnie, uh, you know, when you, when you think about Black History Month and, and everything that's happened in the last year, which there's been a lot, um, and, and the position the fraternities take in at times with some of these things, what is, you know, what does it mean to you to, to hear about Black History Month and to think about it? Has your perspective on it changed at all in the last year? You know, where is your mind in terms of, of what this month means and, and can mean to you and to the fraternity? I think that it's hard in the past year for your perspective not to change, it, it, at least in some form or fashion. I think what it has done in everything that has happened in society and in social media and ability to read and, and access information, maybe even in a, in a more fervent fashion than, than we did before, is to have even more empathy and to have even more understanding. I think many times if you, if you grow up in a certain environment, it can be challenging to remind yourself of experiences that other people have. Uh, I consider myself blessed that you know, I grew up in a, in a neighborhood that was very diverse. I grew up in a high school that was very diverse. The college that I went to was not as diverse, but the, the way that I was brought up and, and my parents didn't have a, a lot, we, we were fine in terms of we had food on the, on the table and we had tennis shoes and clothes, right? All those things. It wasn't like uh, my parents did as much as they could for us, but you know, in that environment with a lot of other people who were, you know, grinding and, and trying to make a life for themselves. It was very, very humbling, but also I think it was a great perspective to learn about different human beings and the way they think and experiences they've had. And so the last year has just reinforced that a lot of things that I remember from my childhood. Uh, and, and again, in me, I should say, instead of for others, for me, it creates a sense of awareness and, and empathy for others and trying to relate more and have conversations and make sure that people, we are not, and I am not, setting people up in situations where they feel uncomfortable or we're not doing things as an organization that make people uncomfortable. And I know when you have that conversation many times, it almost becomes this binary or 
subtraction by addition, right? So if we're doing this, then we're taking away from, from something else. I don't think that that's the case, right? When it comes to, we, we are gonna, we're gonna have a great conversation today and we're gonna get better and we're gonna listen and be students. That doesn't mean you know, that I am less of a person coming into this because I, I'm not as educated as I will be coming out of it, right? To me, it's very much like the physical body, you know, going to the gym to work out doesn't mean that you're not strong or you're not fit. No, you just keep going to get stronger and to get fitter. And so I think many times we folks are nervous to come into these conversations because they're not experts because they're not as, you know, in the position they want to be in. And I know you and I, we're, we're not in the position where we know as much as we want to know. So today's going to be a great opportunity for that. And as an organization, if we continue to, to do things like this, have conversations that are our educational programs and, and within our groups and alumni associations all over, that's only going to make us better. And yes, there's going to be friction points and yes, there's going to be learning opportunities, but in the end, we're going to get better and we're going to live our mission. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the, the one thing that I've really discovered in the last year, you know, go back to, to early summer when some of the protests ramped up and, and really the entire nation, uh, a lot of the nation, I guess, had come together. And then there were still parts of America that, that were working toward dividing. But what I, what I kept coming back to is there's still so much that I don't know and that I don't understand and, um, and need to learn, need to educate myself. That's, you know, we're, both white males. There's there's nothing that we can do to take away from that fact. Uh, and anyone who's ever met us knows that. So it, it's it's definitely a different perspective on our end than what. A, and it's not just you know the the individuals in T are black. It's it's all uh, levels of diversity, all different ethnic backgrounds, all sexual orientations and and religions and. Um, and there are always things that, that you can humble yourself to learn more about if you have the desire to take the time and, and actually do it. It's one thing to just sit in your chair or sit in your, your living room and say, oh, you know, I would never quote unquote be a racist or I would never say these things or use these words. It's another thing to actually go and, and understand why those words are, are hurtful to people, why those words matter, what meaning there is behind the words and the actions that, that we might do and not even realize that we're not being inclusive and, and not being equitable. And so that to me is something that's really stood out throughout the last year. And it's something that I have taken some steps to try and get better about, but I'm still, I'm nowhere near perfect. And, and I know I'm, again, looking forward to hearing what Tyler has to say and what he brings to this conversation, because uh, anytime we can get a, a different voice into this podcast on topics where we are not the experts, it's only going to make us all better in the long run. Want to uh, also highlight, you know, we're going to, we're going to move pretty quick through our portion here, but another thing that we are doing this week, actually, as a fraternity is our next layer of DEI training, again, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we have asked every collegiate officer to participate in one of five DEI sessions. Uh, those are being led by Dr. Steve Iacovelli, who is a member of Talk Kappa Epsilon and who is an expert in this area, specializes in the area of diversity and inclusion training. And, um, and that's coming up on Thursday of this week, Thursday at 8 p.m. So uh, if whether you are a member, uh, a current undergraduate member, whether you are a volunteer listening to this, an alumnus who has not been engaged with the international fraternity, I think that's another thing that, that we can all do that will, once again, help us understand a little more, help us educate ourselves a little more about the language we use and the, the actions we take and, and what we can do to be more proactive and being inclusive. So I'm looking forward to the, the DEI session on Thursday and uh, we've already had one, we'll have four more, but that I think as well is another really positive step we've taken as a fraternity to try and, and move our members in the right direction. Don, I know you had uh, you had a, a rule of three you wanted to touch on today as well. Uh, if you wanna you wanna hit that one, it's all you. Yeah, thanks, Al. And there are a little over 105 days at the time of this recording. By the time we publish, I believe it'll be about 103 days. So as we get close to that 100 day mark, that's obviously a, a nice round number looking at what are the three focuses of the fraternity right now in these last 100 days. And some of these are going to translate over into the next fiscal year. But with 100 days left, there's, there are three main ones. One, 
no doubt recruitment. Recruitment is the oxygen of the organization. And, and I know just like whether it's we have discussion about Black History Month, we have a discussion about, you know, there's a number of politics or any type of discussion. This one is another one when it comes to recruitment, you get into this, this uh, folks start to get uncomfortable with this. You're talking about, you know, recruiting people and quantity versus quality. And we have this, this stick fight, this rock fight over that when I don't think there should be one at all. And, and I know how you've heard me talk about this many times, but the recruitment is the oxygen of the organization. And so if you're out there and you have a great product and you're hustling and you're working hard in terms of putting that message out to everybody and being welcoming and, and highlighting all the things that you're going to improve people's lives, you're going to get quantity and you're going to get quality. You can't tell me no matter the size of your campus that you don't have 20, 25, 30 high quality individuals that you can go recruit to join this organization. Now, some of them, you might go have to grind a little harder. You might have to hustle a little more. You might have to put in more work than putting out a few events and having a couple Zoom calls to get those people encouraged because they need to see the value. They need to see that, but they are out there. And for some of our groups, if you're on a big 10 campus or SEC Pac-12, right, you're in a big five conference, that number should be more like 40 to 50. And this is not, this is the, the reasoning for this is, Think about, and we've, we've mentioned this before, the gift of the organization. All that it has done for you in those experiences, you have the ability to give that to somebody else. Or you have the ability to watch them walk by on campus every day and live their life and not have this experience. And if you reverse that and you flip it, think about those experiences that those people could contribute to Talk Up Epsilon. How Talk Up Epsilon could be better because they're going to be in it. There's just so much upside to putting in that work because of the reward on the other end and the value and the experiences. Two is resources. You thought recruitment could be a hot button issue. Let's start talking about resources, which then I know a lot of folks tie those two together. Well, recruitment just means you're thinking about money. Let me explain this to you, whether it's going to the grocery store to get food to put on the table, whether it's buying clothes for your kids, whether it's making sure you're in a position to retire, resources are always going to be a part of any business, any, any of your personal life, it is an aspect. You cannot avoid the conversation. And we shouldn't avoid the conversation. The organization needs resources to be able to turn around and invest in our membership. The, the your money vehicle piece that we have out there, that's no additional cost. The fired up training, you know, a lot of the resource guides, YouTube videos, all that is because of resources that have been invested in the organization that we've been able to recalibrate and put in the proper position for our members to take advantage of. So yes, Creating resources, whether that's folks contributing to Life Lotique or the Chapter Assistance Program or some other foundational program, that's critical. Whether it's getting folks out there, you know, working hard through fundraisers to create revenue so that members can pay their dues or they can help support collegiate members joining the organization, it's critical. The more we have conversation about creating resources, Al, the more likely we're going to be to find them. But if we never want to have the conversation, we're always going to be in this scarcity mindset. And we have got to shake that culturally as an organization. So if you're in a position where you don't have some of those resources, you should be talking about every single day how you're going to go and create them. But if you just avoid the conversation and saying it's too hard, of course, you're never going to be successful in finding that. And you're going to keep living that cycle day in and day out. The third focus is communication. And this has many fronts, both from headquarters level to the membership at large, also from the membership within the collegiate membership within each other, and then the collegiate membership to our alumni members. I had some conversations through, through our group me app this weekend with some of our his stores because we had some folks out there saying, hey, we want to help you, you know, connect with your alumni and it's crickets out there. I mean, you got 40, 50, 60, 70 his stores on this. Not one soul could give a response. Then some of the responses came in after I poked the bear a little bit on that. Some of the responses coming in, will well, tell us what to do. Well, tell, there has to be an aspect of this too. Are you making yourself relevant to our alumni members? So if you're a collegiate member listening to this, are you making yourself relevant to the guy who's 23 years old, who's in his first job and starting to build his life, to the guy who's 30, who's just starting to have children possibly and, and, and own a house and he's involved in his, in his kid's little league, he's involved in, in the, the neighborhood HOA. Are, are, you t are you engaging that guy? Are you engaging the guy who's 40 to 50 whose kids are starting to go to college, who's running around trying to get his business up. He's still in the prime of his working life. You know, he's got a lot of things going on. Are you marketing yourself and being relevant to the guy who's 60 plus, who's starting to be retired, who has a little bit more time, who possibly could contribute in a, in a deeper fashion, somebody who could possibly engage with time or through Zoom calls, pieces like that. You have to make yourself relevant. And unfortunately, too many times we live in this reverse cycle where 
the alumni, if we just send out an email, people should come running over the hill, Al, to come contribute or to come get involved. That's not how people market to you and I to, to purchase items, right? Or to get involved. Why do you think it's going to work? Because we're a brotherhood, but th that that means just one email and everybody comes from, running from the hill. So people have to create this sense of relevancy at every single level that I just talked about. And there's multiple ways to go about that. And, and we're open to having those kind of conversations and connecting with us through social media, through the website, teak.org slash staff, shoot us an email. But that should be the mindset everybody is in. What are you doing to be relevant? What are you doing to be relevant? Yeah, two, two thoughts. Um, one, on the, the quantity versus quality piece, it's really become apparent to me in the last couple years that our strongest quote unquote brotherhood chapters, what, however you want to measure brotherhood, I guess I view it as guys who are in sync, they're aligned on their values, they're aligned on the goals of the chapter of the organization. That's how I measure brotherhood. You know, how many people can you get each week to a meeting? How many people can you get to a social event, to a, a recruitment event? The strongest chapters when it comes to that brotherhood are the biggest chapters. It's the, the USC's, the Virginia Tech's, the LSU's, the Auburn's, the Wisconsin. Those are the groups with your quote unquote best brotherhood. The groups with the worst brotherhood are the 11, 12 man groups where everyone just hates each other and, and wants to quit the organization. So if, if there's a tie in your mind between growing and losing your sense of brotherhood, lose that because it's not true. There are, there are factual cases to back up that that's not accurate. And, and so it, it goes back to the, of we can't, you know, if we want to grow, we can't get all quality guys. The reason that, that 100, 120 man chapters have such good brotherhood is because they're able to go out and find men who align with their values, who are quality men. They have a very specific rigid process when it comes to recruitment and they market themselves in a way that brings in the right people that allows that brotherhood to stay strong. Let me ask you a question. So for one, I, the one piece I would add in is, is these larger groups and by larger groups doesn't mean larger campus, it means larger right. groups. These larger groups also cast a wide net. So they're looking at people from a lot of different interests and backgrounds, right? They're not just going after one type of person, right? right? Because you can be high character, but have different interests. But I guarantee that there's groups either listening to this or alumni from groups who are going to say, okay, Al, you just talked about the 11-man group who wants to, you know, go at each other's throats. We do have 11-man groups who do love each other and they go down this road of, you know, we have tight brotherhood. So that's why we want to stay at 12 guys or 15 guys or 20 guys. Do you... Everyone listening out there, and you can answer this out. Do you really think that a, a family that has three people, they have one child, that they're closer and, and more connected than a family that has six or seven children? No, I, I, I don't think that. On behalf of- Right, right. Like I, the, 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 that's the thing that I always love is we don't want to play this game in the rest of human social environment, right? Like you would never say, oh, well, that family only has three. So they must be much closer than that family over there that has, right, that has six, seven, eight kids. Many times we know you see a family that has three, four, five kids and God bless them if you want to have that, that many kids. I have three and it's crazy enough. But they're like, look, look how connected they are and look at all the experiences they're having, right? Versus the family that if you choose to have one kid, God bless you, that's what you want to do, right? That doesn't, it doesn't change the process of how connected you are as a family. So I don't know why we take this fraternity social structure and have these completely different rules, which they're not rules, they're just excuses people make, versus you would never use that in a family social circle. And so we talk about all the time that we're a family, this is transferable. You can be vibrant and have 100 members, 150 members, and have phenomenally close and tight brotherhood. Yeah, it's, it's just all about the mental barriers that, that are put in place. And, and I think a lot of times they're cultural, they're, they're passed down, and, and you can't even trace back to where it comes from. You're just whatever. And it's, it's not just in teak. It's, it's in your workspace, it's in your personal life, but there are these ideas that get passed from, from generation to generation of, we can't grow and have a big brotherhood, or you know we only recruit to fill the house and then we're done. And, and if someone were to just take the time and make the effort to break those cycles, yeah, if you're, the, if world, you're the world would this, open up for them. Yeah, if you're someone listening to this, be that guy. At some point, humanity never thought that they could drive a car. 
They could get in a vehicle and it would take them faster than they could run because humans had always just moved by foot. At some point, man never thought he could get in an aircraft and fly, right? That only birds did that until eventually someone broke through that concept that man could fly. That person had to tell themselves, I'm going to build something that's actually going to make man fly. And we could play this out across, right? People going to the moon, people going to Mars. You could play this out all sorts of places, but it starts with that belief of somebody having a vision of we're going to do something different and it's going to be effective and it's going to be successful. I mean, we, we didn't go this direction entirely on purpose, but I think there are a lot of parallels with what we talked about up front and that very idea, right? There are behaviors, there are beliefs, there are uh, uh, traditions when it comes to how individuals treat people from diverse backgrounds that are that are learned that are taught that are passed down from generation to generation to generation where you don't even know why you feel a certain way or behave a certain way toward uh toward a black person or toward uh somebody who's not from your religious faith or, or your sexual orientation you you just do and and there's just a mental a mental block that can be removed. It's not permanent that if you remove that block, right, then you can be the person that teaches your kids how to, how to treat people correctly, teaches your kids how to have conversations and how to, how to engage your mind outside of the way that your parents maybe taught you or or their grandparents taught them. So there are definitely definite parallels there in, in terms of just how we learn behaviors and, and how we come to believe the things that we believe, whether it's with something as not small, but, but in the grand scheme of things, small as how we recruit new members or something as large as how we treat individuals that we share this earth with. Um, there are some parallels there that, that I think are applicable only other thought that I had um, before we move on and bring our friend Zach in is you talked at the end about engaging alumni and, and engaging volunteers and, and people outside of your immediate chapter. And there's this, this interesting paradox there as you were talking that I couldn't help think about where a lot of times we as a headquarters staff, we get asked, you know, what are you doing for us? What value are you providing for us? What are we getting? What are, we, you know, we're paying you dues. What are we getting for that? We're paying you risk management fees. What are we getting for that? We go round and round and, and, and we have come to a place where I feel very confident in the product that we are providing, whether it's direct staff support, whether it's fired up training, whether it's money vehicle, whether it's insurance. Um, I feel very strongly about the value that we provide our members. And then at times members turn around and go and ask their alumni for money, like you said, with no intention of providing any value back. And that's all that it comes down to is his value, especially for people that are, as Donnie mentioned, a little further on in life, whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, your time, your ability to give back, your ability to, to provide money to different causes, that shrinks as you start a family, as you purchase a house, as you have a car payment. There has to be value in what you are doing, whether it's uh intrinsic value, whether it just, it it makes you feel good. It makes you feel right. Whether it's tangible value, whether you're getting a physical product back, but there are, there are some, uh, some interesting juxtapositions there that, um, that I think we, we forget about when it comes to what's headquarters doing, what's headquarters doing. I'm giving you money. What's headquarters doing versus, Hey, alumni, you should donate because it's the right thing to do. You should give back because it feels good that's not always going to work for everyone. So, so I just would challenge you to think more critically about how you can provide value, how you can highlight the need for your chapter and for the fraternity so that it, it makes the alumni feel like they are getting something in return. Yeah, it's again, it's about rel- relevancy. There's also awareness, and that's what you're talking about, which is our, our, our alumni, in this case, our alumni aware of the need. I think it's easy to say, well, of course, you remember 15 years ago or 20 years ago or 25, whatever it was, right? The struggles and the, yeah, yeah, you might nostalgically remember a piece of it, but that's far different than putting a communication out and saying our chapter is looking to fundraise XYZ number because that's how much debt we're in. Or this is, you know, this is a, a focus because we need this, this type of resources to be able to do this, 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 and this. That's far different than remembering a nostalgic time when, yeah, I do remember what it was like to try to, you know, Pay, pay my dues and, and go to college and work and try to get 
you know, a little bit of scratch so I could go to White Castle, you know, at midnight on, on Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, I, I remember it. I don't remember it as vividly as I did 10 years ago, but that's because, you know, my life has shifted where now I'm focused on making sure I've got fruit snacks for my kids. So, you know, it's, you got to recalibrate and understand you got to create that awareness level. And, and that goes across too, you know, at the headquarters level, we put communications out, we put announcements out at times, but we, we at times get arrogant about, did everyone see the message? Did everyone digest the message? It's why you got to keep, you got to keep hammering away because you don't know even some of your most connected folks, if they saw the message, right? Did it go to their spam or was it a day where they were just flying through their inbox and they deleted it? Or was it just a post on social media and they weren't on social media that day and it didn't come through their feed, right? There's just so many aspects with all these lines of communication that you got to keep utilizing them versus thinking, you know, I took my one shot, of course they saw it. Or I put my bobber in the water, of course I should reel fish in. That's not, that's not how it works. The way you're going to be successful is putting a bunch of lines in the water and then following up and making sure, hey, did I saw you put 10 lines in the water. Did you catch any fish today? And put that in a more relevant term, you know, having more reach out. Did you get our message? Can you just send me a response and confirm that you got this email? Even those small things can make a big difference just to know your message is even being heard, let alone whether it's being acted upon. Well, and, and it's the exact, exact same with recruitment. I mean, they're right. Everything comes back to how we market ourselves, how we sell ourselves, how we highlight what we are as an organization. And it's the same, whether it's alumni or new members or parents or school administrators. Um, but the, the continued follow-up and the ongoing efforts and not just doing something once and saying, oh, didn't work. It's not going to work in the future. We got to be able to learn and bounce back and, and grow from every single effort that we make. All right. Going to go now to Zachary Scott. Bring him in here. Zach Scott joins us now. He is indoors today, so it looks like you have returned to your perch in your home. Is, is that correct, or did you just move the get up to a Panera somewhere and, and set up yourself in a, in a corner that looks exactly like your house? Unfortunately, I do not own my own Panera. Um, I wish I did. It sounds quite lucrative, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just set up indoors for this time. I figured wouldn't battle. I think it's a little bit windy, so don't want to mm -hmm. disrupt anything. We're getting, a, we're getting a foot of snow here in Indiana today. So uh, I, I do feel bad for you in the wind, but uh, we'll, you'll find a way to manage. Um, Zach, the, the one question that I, I wanted to bring up, it is Black History Month, and we are talking about that on today's episode. We're bringing a guest in here very shortly to, to talk about it in a little more detail. But when it comes to recruitment, an area where you specialize, you've been all over the country. You've seen all different chapters made up some very diverse, some not very diverse, but when it comes to recruitment, how can our chapters be a little more inclusive and, and promote diversity within their own groups as they go through the recruitment process? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's following some of the basics, right? If you, if you, again, I, I, I hype up fired up quite a bit because a lot of the things that they promote, I think drive, a number of the issues and goals that all of us have in mind. And I think the feeding the funnel, right. That's a, that's a concept that's brought up. What are we doing to drive as many people to that recruitment funnel as possible? I think that that allows you right to talk to as many students, no matter what their background, whatever that's going to look like to that funnel, right. Open up as many conversations because right. You're not starting with fraternity. You're starting with building a relationship. Um, and I think that can, can help put aside some of those biases. Um, additionally, what are we doing to create an image or a brand for our organization on the outside that helps us to look more inclusive and showcase our inclusivity um, and showcase our diversity as an organization? For instance, are we partnering with groups on campus that have a specific cultural identity? Are we making sure to include other students as a part of our mold? I mean, what are we doing to show others that we're not this cookie cutter fraternity that everyone stereotypes. Um, and I think another piece is what are we taking advantage of on campus when it comes to diversity and inclusion trainings? But additionally, what are we taking advantage of within Teak 
when it comes to diversity and inclusion trainings, right? I mean, I believe this podcast is coming is going to be coming out on Wednesday, February seventeenth. There's a diversity and inclusion training February eighteenth. If you're having a long day of classes and you're looking for a, an opportunity to get better, um, and you don't have something else going on, right? Tune in for that. And there will be other trainings later on in the semester. I believe in April. So. There are opportunities out there to get better and to open your mind a little bit. What are you doing to take advantage of those pieces? And then what are you doing to just fold that into what you're already got in place for recruitment? Um, again, driving that funnel is a big piece. Driving as many people in, I think, is critical. Do you know what else February 17th is, the, the date of this podcast being launched? I would love to, love to be educated. Yeah, uh, if you're like me, you know this day. Uh, well, since I was about five, February 17th is Michael Jordan's birthday. That is, uh, he will be 58 years old, February 17th, 1963. And so he will be, the GOAT will be 58. But I'm interested, while we got to here, who is the bigger GOAT in your mind now that you've got this quarterback that you've put all of your wealth and health behind, Tom Brady, or Michael Jordan? Which, which is a bigger GOAT in your, they're both GOATs, right? Which is a bigger GOAT? Um, I mean... I feel like some might even throw in Bill Russell there with the, uh, with the rings. So um, I don't know. I think for me, it's completely different realms. Michael Jordan, I think is, is an inspiration to everybody. I mean, he's been around obviously longer than Tom Brady has. And I think everyone, if you grew up as a millennial, right, you, you've watched space jam, you're about to watch another space jam. What's who some consider to be a, another NBA goat. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd probably go Michael Jordan when it comes to Tom Brady. You know what Bill Russell needs? Bill Russell needs a 10-part series on, on the Boston Celtics. That's really – that's what's gotten Jordan even back because folks like yourself that it wasn't right in your childhood like it was for me, you got to watch The Last Dance and be reminded and educated. That's a, uh, an episode for each ring, if I'm not mistaken. So that uh, there's a lot of good content right there. Look – We'll get into it another time, but LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever live. Okay. I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely. That, 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 that's, that's a whole episode, um, but you guys, you guys are just spinning your tires over there while I'm up here in, in the top right corner sitting on facts. So, uh, Zach, we, we appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you shedding some light on the, uh, the diversity conversation. Appreciate you uh, engaging Donnie's just uh, misguided – attempts to classify Michael Jordan as the best basketball player of all time, but uh, we will let you go and we will talk to you again next week. Awesome. Love, love getting the wheel spinning. So I'll see you guys later. Adios. Thanks Zach. It's good to know Al that you can appeal to everybody born after 2000 in your focus on LeBron James being the greatest basketball player ever. I mean, it, it, it is nice. I mean, in well, this century, we'll pencil, we'll pencil century, this he probably time. is the best basketball player. We'll pencil this in for another time. All right. We're going to, we're going to go from one guest to another here and bring in Tyler, Sally, Tyler, welcome to the podcast. And we are joined now by Tyler Sally. Tyler is located up in Baltimore. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. How are you? We're good. We're good. We appreciate you joining us here. Appreciate you carving out some time. Um, and, and as we've mentioned a few times on the episode already, you know, we want to spend some time talking with you uh, about Black History Month as you are a member of Teak's DEI committee. And I know that's an area where you're passionate. And, and just to kind of lay the groundwork and get the conversation started, if you could just share a little bit about your background, your Teak experience, um, your professional experience, how you got to Baltimore, and, and just share with our listeners who you are and and how you found your way to, to your position in life right now. Sure, sure. So uh, so I guess I'll, I'll kind of start on the professional side. Uh, so after undergrad, I started off in HR consulting, uh, kind of just had a, a focus specializing in staffing and recruitment, workforce development. Um, and, and, and really, that's just about, you know, how do you create the future of work for companies? Um from, from there, and, and a, a few years of doing that, I decided to go to grad school to uh, pursue a master's in IO psychology. 
And, and, and again, that's just about, you know, how do we use psychology to make companies and, and, uh, and you know, workforces more engaged and feel more, uh, you know, a part of the team to, to work better ultimately. Um, and, and in that role, you know, since then I've been kind of working in leadership development space, uh, you know, employee engagement, DE&I. From a, from a TEAK perspective, I joined my chapter back in 2000 and probably 2011, I wanna say. Uh, but, you know, at the time I joined, there were about maybe 10 active members or so. We had just come off of a four-year suspension and it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was really small at the time. So uh, from there, I kind of became pledge class president and in that, I was able just to recruit a bunch of my friends, you know, that I'd made freshman year of, of college, and uh, you know, that 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 really kind of piqued an interest in mine of you know being able to really kind of make Teak what I wanted it. So I was I, I became rush chair. I was rush chair for about three years or so, and in that time, I really grew the chapter from you know the ten or fifteen or so actors when I started to around 40, 50, 60 by the time I was a senior. Uh, and then I was elected Preakness, uh, and you know, in that role, there was a ton of stuff going on. But um, it was it was a it was a great experience, and and then you know, since I have become a life loyal teak, and now I've joined the DEI committee. So I've I've been trying to figure out ways throughout my personal and professional career to just to you know make sure that I'm I'm, I'm always trying to you know look out for others and and, and give back to whatever community I'm I've been a part of. And Tyler, you, you mentioned there at the end that you are part of TKE's DEI committee. And I am curious in being in that committee, and there's been a number of meetings and engaged conversations that have occurred since we announced the, the Grand Council's launching of that committee six, seven, eight months ago. Mm -hmm. And so for those who haven't been as tuned in, can you highlight what's that experience been like? What have the conversations been like? And primarily, where do you see uh, talk at Epsilon in terms of work on diversity, where we are and, and where we can be, you know, what is our potential? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, well, first off, I just want to say that, that the DEI committee has been an amazing experience. I mean, I've been joined from folks that are, you know, leaders in their own right, in their own different fields. Uh, and we also have uh, collegiate members as well that, that, that are part of the overall kind of committee. And just to give some perspective about how it's broken up, so there's this like overall DEI committee, and then there are uh, multiple kind of subgroups. So the subgroups also have, you know, really talented folks that have been chosen that are working on more specific things uh, that kind of like report up through our TEAK staff that, that's kind of been helping facilitate everything, then to share that, that information and their conversations back with us. Uh, so that overall, we can come up with a set of recommendations to provide the Grand Council on how to really kind of move the fraternity forward. Um, just, just a bit more about the folks that I've been able to work with on the overall DEI committee. I mean, you know, we, we have some amazing people on that team. There are some folks that, uh, you know, one of our, um, you know, colleagues on that committee is one of our fellow, uh, fellow friars uh, is a like, you know, retired Colonel that was part of like integrating the Air Force back in like the 60s. We have some folks that are working in the federal uh, government. We have some people that have their own private practice, multiple people with doctoral degrees. They're focused in education, leadership, and, and, and it, it's really been an honor to be, you know, a part of that group and, and really working towards, uh, towards driving TEAK forward. As to the latter part of your question, I mean, I think the TEAK has nothing but potential. I mean, that, that's a, at the time, you know, that's, that's why I joined the fraternity when I saw that, hey, we were pretty small. We had a lot of potential to grow, a lot of opportunity. Um, and, and I think that that the Grand Council kind of putting together this force and, and, and um, entrusting the responsibility with uh, Ryan Vesio, that's, that's been a, a huge um, you know, opportunity overall to just show, hey, we're trying to do something here. Um, I see that, that you know, right now it's really been understanding all of the different things that are going on, right? We've spent a lot of time really talking through the collegiate experience from, you know, and like hearing from some of our collegiate members, talking through what that experience has been like from an alumni perspective and figuring out, you know, how can we leverage, you know, the, the skills of this group to, to, to provide resources and provide kind of a pathway to move the organization further. And, you know, we've, we've, we've definitely 
you know, spend a lot of a lot of times going through, you know, the various things that we have at our disposal. And it, it's been um, it, it's, it's been really, really impactful so far. And, and what you touched on there toward the end, Tyler, I think is a really good segue to, to my next question. And you mentioned in order to, to move forward on an initiative or, or on a project or the committee work, you need to understand what's already happened, what's been done, what the history is. And so when we think about Black History Month and, and that from a larger perspective, not just a Teak perspective, you know, where, where do you reflect this month and what does it mean to you specifically in February, you know, how do you reflect on Black history in general? And, and obviously, how does that tie into the work the DEI committee is doing? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to get to both parts of that question. If yeah. I'm something, you know, feel free to let me know. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that the first part was really kind of this whole aspect of like, what does Black history mean to me? And, and it, it, it's interesting, because, uh, you know, I, I think that, so often as I was growing up in school that Black history was kind of rarely taught, right? It was something that, that was maybe just kind of like a focus for February, but you, it's not really something that was built into the day-to-day curriculum for like, as a student. And I mean, even more so, I, I saw this uh, article from The Hill uh, today that was uh, kind of discussing that uh, Utah, the, the, the school in Utah was allowing parents to opt students out of Black History Month curriculum. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because, you know, I didn't think that there'd be an opportunity for me to opt out of white history, right? <laughs> opt out of that. Or, you know, is that just history, right? That's how we just call history. It's just everything else that's not Black history. So um, I, I think it's, it's really interesting to kind of think through that perspective that that is where a lot of folks are in our society thinks is like Black history is this kind of extra or add-on thing. Uh, but, but you know, to me, it really is just a time to reflect and acknowledge the contributions and achievements of, of Black folks throughout American society that, again, has just been all too often neglected. And, uh, you know, I, I think the origins of Black history kind of came from, you know, there just not really being any kind of recognition at all about, you know, what Black people have contributed to American culture and society. And, and I think it wasn't even a, a celebration or, or anything until like the 70s, like maybe like mid to late 70s is when it actually, um, when it actually became recognized federally. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the, the, the other part of what you said was just about like, what specifically does it mean to me? I mean, I, I think it really gave me or gives me an opportunity to reflect back on like my family history. And I think, you know, over the years, you get the opportunity to talk to some folks in your family that that have been around a lot longer than you have. And, you know, in some of those conversations, you know, realizing that that although my history isn't necessarily that I was ever ever really made like a priority in school, um, you know, hearing about it from your from your family and from your loved ones has been has been uh, really, really insightful. I mean, just kind of for me personally, recognizing that like my great grandfather was a sharecropper and you know his his my great great grandfather was born into slavery and in, in in Mississippi and you know hearing stories from my grandmother that came from the south came from like a town called Batesville Mississippi I don't know if any of our out in Mississippi know about that area but you know my grandma tell me about how she you know experienced living in the Jim Crow South and segregation and KKK and came up north to Chicago to really kind of make a better life for herself and was able to find a job. And, you know, even like thinking about the residual impacts of that, it's like, you know, being the first person in my family to graduate college, right? But at the same time, not really having a lot of the resources that some of my, you know, white friends did, right? I mean, I've, you know, a bunch of debt. I won't put all my business out there, but how much, but it's a lot. <laughs> and, and, you know, I have some friends that, that uh, you know, didn't have that, that same kind of, you know, concern or, 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 or issue. But I, I think too, just to close this out and let me know if I'm talking too much, but uh, I, I, I think too, it really kind of makes you reflect that the things that we are going through now and talking about now as like in society are the same challenges that we've been facing since forever, right? These are the same things that, you know, grandparents or great grandparents have been marching for, have been trying to get, you know, done, have been recognizing that, hey, we are disenfranchised. We aren't getting the same opportunities as other people. Redline, bank loans. I mean, everything, and this isn't even getting into, you know, 
working, you know, the the experience of being a black person with police and and all those other kind of things. But you know, it it really just kind of has you figure out, you know, like where do I stand here and like what have I done to really help push this forward? You know, I think everyone kind of has their role in in this in this effort right now and. You know, everyone has to kind of sit back and say, hey, what did I do? Like, what has been my my responsibility throughout this time? Well, you definitely can't talk too much as as the guest. The host, there's no doubt we can we can step <laughs> off of that line of talking too much. But as a guest, that's just not possible. Tyler, something you talked about there that I have interest in, if you're comfortable having the conversation, mm-hmm. is what type of conversations when you're with your family, right? When you're having you know, family cookout, reunion, holidays, those types of things. What are some of the conversations that, you know, I don't think it's a state secret here that Alex and I are white. What are, what are conversations that are happening, you know, at your family reunions that might be different than the ones that are happening at members of the white community? Because I think it's very helpful for those listening in just to have some perspective of what kind of conversations are occurring. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think the the first thing that I'd like to say is that I think a lot of times the Black experience is kind of presented as a monolith, that every Black person has the same kind of experiences, that every single person, that we all have like the same shared identity around all these different things. And quite frankly, that's not true, right? I mean, I have some people in my family that uh, aren't on the same political side as I am. I have some people in my family that that think that, you know, my positions may be different or too far or they don't like, um, you know, and, and I think that, of course, just like everyone else that comes up during election cycles, right, that comes up, um, you know, when when things have are, have kind of come out from the White House or from various senators or, you know, representatives, that, that stuff kind of comes out. And you know, I think that a lot of the, the, the same kind of conversations that I think, you know, a lot of folks are having with their families are the same ones that are happening kind of in the Black community. Um, I think that, that, that there is this, this kind of shared experience that we all have kind of realizing that, you know, that what we go through as a family or as a community is different than maybe what, uh, you know, white folks may go through. In their family, in their community, so I, you know, I, I think that that there is a bit of you know difference there, right? There's there there's a bit of of you know what are some specific things to you and your family that you're kind of going through, but you know there isn't like a a general thing, like you know I, I think that that's something that the news has always kind of portrayed that hey, all black people think this way, or all black people think that, or all everyone likes rap music or whatever, but that's that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and, and to reference, you know, one piece that I've heard of, I've heard about, heard reference many times in, in the media, as you mentioned, is, is the talk, for instance, about how you interact with law enforcement and what that, how that conversation could be different than how, you know, Alex and I have that conversation with our family. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a interesting point, and this is here, at, again, to kind of show you the, the variation in experiences with that talk, so you know, a lot of folks in my family are firefighters, cops, teachers, nurses. So um, I, I think that the experience that I've had has always not been necessarily to, to kind of like automatically fear the police. Um, I, I think some of my uh, fellow fraternity brothers from Upsalon would tell you that I was usually the first person to go out and talk to cops if they were ever kind of called or, or anything, and I'd be the person to try to figure out what, you know, what's going on. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that even with that experience and background, I recognize, and the folks in my family that are involved in law enforcement recognize that there's an issue, that there's a problem, and that, you know, to uh, some people, I may be seen as a threat, and that's something that we do really have to kind of pass down as to, to everyone. I mean, my, my uh, little brother right now, and not little brother in fraternity, my familial little brother is uh, 16. And, you know, I, I, I look at him and I'm like, you know, Zach, man, you, like, if this ever happens, I, you know, I was the one that now has to have this talk with my little brother to let him know that, hey, when they, you know, see you, they may not realize right off the bat that 
you know, we have uncles and aunties in law enforcement that are firefighters to them. You are a black kid with dreadlocks and they may have some preconceived notions about what you're up to and what you are going to do. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's just always best, you know, right. To do what they say and we'll figure out the details later. Right. And, um, and, you know, if that's getting more involved kind of after the fact with, with whatever recourse we have as individuals, that's, that's something that we have to figure out as well. Tyler, one of the, one of the things you touched on briefly when we were talking about how you reflect on Black History Month that um, I'm curious about is, you know, when I think back to my time in, in school and learning about Black History Month, a lot of it was focused on, on individuals, on Black leaders, Martin Luther King, uh, Harriet Tubman, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the ones that you hear about most often. Are there one or two leaders in the Black community that, that you enjoy studying and, and learning about based on the principles, the way they live their lives? And, and maybe, you know, I think, about, I think about Fred Hampton, for example, who, frankly, I didn't know anything about until the, mm -hmm. the, the movie Judas and the Black Messiah came out and have learned a little more about in just the last few months. But, in, you know, people who um, we may not know about, they're not as commonly talked about in, in the the black community or the white community as leaders that you look at and, and appreciate what they've done. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the first person that comes to mind is, is Angela Davis. Uh, she's someone that never was talked about in school, never learned about quite frankly, until I became an adult and, and really started, you know, looking more intentionally for, um, you know, thought leaders in, in being able to describe my experience, right? I, I think that a lot of times in like the, the, the benefit that comes with hearing about your history, right? And this is something that we talked about, right? As history versus Black history being something that you can opt out of, the, the privilege of having your history be history and you being able to look at the likes like, a, you know, Christopher Columbus or whoever else as like, oh, that's someone that that looks like me, that was like me, whatever, um, is that, you know, you get to hear your story, your pers like perspective of your people all throughout your life. And it's echoed to you in different ways from different people, from different kind of walks of life, from different countries, et cetera. Whereas as a black person, you know, we, we're sitting in class right beside you. And we also aren't hearing about our history, right? We, we, we aren't hearing these different stories about, uh, you know, how leaders have kind of come up in the, the challenges that they've had. And quite frankly, when we do hear about those stories, it's all, it's always tragic. It's traumatic. It's about terrible things. It's about slavery. It's about getting killed. It's about, you know, getting hung. I mean, literally it's these, the most graphic and terrible things you can hear about is the only thing we really hear about in schools from about black history. So as an adult, you know, it really kind of took me to shift that message and say, all right, how can I find out people that are activists? How can I find people that have been a positive support that haven't been, you know, had all these, these terrible things happen to him? And uh, Angela Davis is one. And there, there, there's a, another uh, person that also comes to mind is uh, Cornell West, um, who, who's great. I mean, I, I think he is a, I mean, I, I think technically he's a philosopher by, by, by trade. And I mean, he's, he's a fantastic person. And, you know, as I kind of reflect back on some of the books I've read and some of the things, I mean, there are, there are, there are people that are literally out there trying to read, like trying to give the black American a, a history, right? Trying to, to say, Hey, this is the stuff that we should have learned. We could have learned in schools, but it just never happened. So now here we are, here I am 28 years old now figuring out who are some people I should listen to for the first time? How can I hear a different perspective of, of the Black experience uh, and, 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 and like get a, a wider variety of that now? Uh, whereas, you know, for most of my life, that was never, that was never something that I ever heard. Tyler, I want to tap a little bit into your professional expertise, especially around psychology. Mm -hmm. So even the conversation that we're having and some of the announcements that the fraternities made around DEI and, and uh, training that's occurring with Dr. Steve Iacovelli, a lot of the efforts that are being made and frankly, conversations that we hope our members will have, just like we're having a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times before that conversation even occurs, there are people who don't want to have the conversation or start to throw up barriers and say, you know, I, I don't want that conversation or the fraternity is, has always been diverse and we've always been welcoming, which 
you know, there is an, obviously there's an aspect of our founding that no doubt is very welcoming and very inclusive. And that's a phenomenal thing. The, the piece that I have shared many times, uh, I know Alex has heard from me is, you know, other aspects of our life, we continue to do over and over again, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's uh, listening to the Pledge of Allegiance or the anthem, like there's things that we do over and over again to keep reminding ourselves, but also to keep growing. And to me, this conversation about humanity, this isn't a political discussion, it's about humanity and how we how we look out for each other and also how we can empathize with each other is a critical conversation to have. But I'm interested from your psychology, how you would give advice to, if we've got collegiates listening to this conversation of how they have this conversation in their chapter, or we've got guys who are alumni, who are maybe they're volunteers, or even they just wanna go talk to someone in their neighborhood or in their community, the psychology around having that conversation, especially if they're concerned about this aspect of, uh, I don't I don't wanna call it defensiveness, right? But just the what could be considered or labeled uncomfortable part of that conversation. That's a real good question. And it's funny because the, the first thing that comes to mind is this, uh, this quote from Kobe where uh, he said, um, there is power in understanding the journey of others to help create your own. And, and I, I think that all too often, this is something that's dismissed, right? And I can even talk about folks from, from my own chapter that have been like, Tyler, you know, you guys got to just get over it. Aaron, you know, this is over, you know, and slavery was X amount of time ago and this and that. I mean, I've heard that personally uh, from folks. And I, I think that, that in, in learning more about another person's experience, there's always going to be some new perspective that you can learn. And I think that to your point around just this being a, a human interaction thing, I mean, this learning about another person's experience can, can give empathy, right? And like, even when I hear from, from folks that, that maybe have a different perspective on, on few things for me, you know, I always try to put myself in someone else's shoes. I think that that's the best way of trying to, to really understand where they're coming from. I think that a lot of times, you know, because of kind of the political climate that we've we've had over the you know past past bit of time here is that a lot of folks kind of automatically have these assumptions about someone else before they even get a chance to talk to them. And I think that we have an opportunity to really kind of as if if, if you meet someone that has a different uh, perspective than you do, they aren't all inherently gonna be wrong or bad. I think that every person has their own set of life experiences that have made that have gotten them to arrive at where they are and um and for for you to engage in an effective dialogue with that person you have to meet them where they are and and try to to get them to a, a closer step uh it's it's funny that, that you mentioned kind of psychology because there's this principle in psychology called the uh, fundamental attributionary error and, and what that principle essentially says is that if you have little or no information about a person, a thing, a situation, whatever, whatever little information that you get, you attribute that to the entirety of the person or the entirety of the experience, right? And it's more or less like an environment or a, a evolutionary psychology method, right? When you when we were, uh, you know, cavemen, we were walking through, and if you saw one thing, you said, okay, that's a threat, I'm getting away from it. Everything around that thing is a threat, and I'm going to keep going. Uh, or go the opposite direction or challenge it. I think that that there's a bit of that that persists today uh, in in the current just dialogues about about particularly about race. Um, and I think that there are are aspects or maybe one person has one statement about one thing and we attribute a whole host of other things to that person. Um, and I, you know I've been guilty of that my, myself and I'm sure, you know, each one of us can probably think about how that has happened in some time. And really, when you find yourself doing that, that's how you really can say, oh, wait, 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 let me take a step back. Let me stop and, and, and let me try to get the full picture here. Because it happens and, you know, it, it's, not, it's not something that happens in our subconscious. It's something that we are consciously saying, well, this person probably thinks this, this, and this too. And when that happens, take a step back and, and try to try to understand, right? And this gets into all the other things like implicit bias and all these other things that, that are kind of connected to it. But, you know, I, I think that the, the biggest step in trying to prevent yourself from doing that is just to listen, listen with intent, not listen to respond or defend, listen to really understand 
and then go from there. And Donnie asked the question about having those conversations, but just from a broader perspective, I don't even want to say just Black History Month, Black History in general, how can, how do you believe non-Black Americans can do better to, to understand and celebrate and learn about Black history and, and tie it into the larger, you, you've talked a few times about how it's, it's segmented out a lot of those times, but how can we do a better job of tying that into just the history of America and, and not have the conversation about Black history versus white history or, or at times, like you said, what we just refer to as history, right? Mm-hmm. How does, you know, how do you see that tie-in becoming a little, a little cleaner, a little better for, for all of us involved? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really comes with seeking out information and educating yourself. I mean, I can't tell you, and, and so this is something that, you know, from a professional perspective, like when last year, like early last year happened and we were going through all these deaths and all this terrible news coming out about Matt Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you know, in my professional role, it was really my responsibility to lead our company's response to this effort. It was really, you know, how are we gonna figure out what we do from now and how do we change that narrative? How do we talk about these things in the workplace? And, um, you know, I was constantly tapped by people. Hey, Tyler, how can I support? Hey, Tyler, how can I be an ally? And then it becomes like now you as an individual that is going through a traumatic experience because you saw someone that looks like your brother or your dad or your sister or your uncle or your auntie, you saw that person murdered in the streets and no one's being charged about it and no one's being held accountable. And the folks that are being held accountable are being like, like you're, you're still processing this traumatic experience. And now you have to be the person that informs white people about what they can do and how they can help. You're like, wait, hold on. (laughs) It's not my responsibility to educate you about what's going on. You have to do that yourself, right? And I, I think the biggest thing that people can do is to go out and seek information themselves. Seek information. If they are curious about something, if they want to know about this experience, I can, there are thousands of authors that have written books about the Black experience. There are so many blogs and posts. And again, of course, you have to be, you know, you you have to make sure that the information you're looking at is authoritative and, you know, whatever kind of qualifications you want to have. But one thing that is just exceptionally draining, particularly as a Black man that is often in white spaces, is that like you are now seen as like the resource for everybody for everything, right? If there's a question about, you know, if someone was like, yeah, I was white, I was talking to my neighbor about this and they asked me about this, this, and this. Tyler, you know, what do you think? Well, I can say my perspective, but I don't speak for all of blackness. I don't speak for all of blackdom, you know? So I, I you know, I, I, I think that, that this is something that, you know, people can go out and, and educate themselves. And then if you want to have more of a, of a, you know, directive conversation with someone, someone that you trust, a person of color, then do that. Say, hey, you know, I was reading this book. I mean, I, I, I think for me personally, if someone came to me and like had more target information, hey, I was reading this book by this person, or I read this post the other day, and it really made me think about this, this, and this, and here's what I think. And I'm really curious to know like what's your perspective on that. That is so much better. That's so much targeted. That shows me that like you are trying to to gain more information on your own. And although you can never, you know, experience specifically what I experience or see specifically like what I see, you are you you're curious to to grow your 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 perspective, to grow your knowledge. I I you know that's something that I I love doing. I mean, I, I think that, that that is one one solid way that people can can seek out information. And like there are a ton of resources. Um and yeah, so I'll just leave that there. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. I, I appreciate the response and, and you being being honest about it and, and being a little vulnerable too. I think this is has been fantastic. I know that that is all the questions we had for you. Any closing thoughts on your end, final things that you had that you you wanted to share here? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I just really appreciate the opportunity to to kind of speak to folks and um, would be more than happy to, uh, to do it again. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tyler. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. And we want to thank Tyler once again for his time with us. 
today. And once again, hopefully you learned something, took something away from that conversation that you can go and put into action in, in your everyday life moving forward. That's it for this podcast. We are uh, going to shelf the MJ versus LeBron debates. Uh, we're going to go salt our sidewalks and driveways as we wait on the the foot plus of snow that's coming through here. Any closing thoughts for our listeners, Donnie? Just hope that everyone can take the thoughts and, and the, the conversation from Frater Sally and have future conversations or even just go back and think about what that means to you and, and continue to take advantage of resources. I know during this month we've highlighted resources that folks can go and continue to, to better themselves. And that's all, that's all this is about. How can you continue to educate yourself and have an open mind and become a little more resource, become a little more wiser about things that are occurring? Uh, has no, many times I know when we have this conversation, it can start to have a political leaning. It has no political leaning. This is about us being better as human beings, no matter who you vote for, no matter if you, if you don't care about voting at all, you don't care about political parties. This is about how we get better in terms of humanity and also living our mission living our values and living our principles daily. Absolutely. Remember, uh, give us uh, a like on Facebook, on, on Instagram, on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your content. And uh, we will look forward to our conversation again next week. As you go ahead and smash that like button, we will, uh, we will be back with you same time, same place. And uh, looking forward to another great conversation a week from now. Thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon.